This is Sunday School for Misfits, hosted by me, Dr. Selena Stone, a podcast where we, the Misfits, explore the good, the bad and the questionable of our church experiences and the Christian beliefs and perspectives that we were taught. Welcome and thank you for listening. Hello there, everyone. Thank you for coming back for another episode. You'll hear maybe that I'm not sounding great this week and That is because I've had the flu for the whole of last week. I mean, I don't really get sick like this. Uh, So my dad was making jokes that I need to eat meat. I'm plant-based most of the week. And I was like, Dad, that is not the solution (laughs) to this flu issue. But he likes to make jokes. This is what my family do when I'm actually dying of the flu. Obviously, dying is a slight exaggeration, but I did feel pretty horrible for most of the week. And so that was why I put out the episode I did last week with my good friend Carlton, which I had luckily prepared earlier, because I had said I was going to talk about suffering and then I got flu. So, I mean, it's not the worst thing to suffer from, to be honest. It's not the worst thing I've suffered, but it definitely did bring home to me again how annoying I find it when I'm in pain. (laughs) it kind of gets in the way. I had really good things planned last week and I just spent most of the time feeling absolutely exhausted, coughing my lungs out. So uh, yeah, but anyway, thankfully, yes, last week I shared with you this conversation with my friend Carlton and I've managed to convince Carlton to join me for an Instagram live, which I'm super excited about. So Thursday, the 8th of December at 7.30, we're going to do an Instagram live and have conversations about the theme so far And also deal with any questions, comments from you all who've been listening in this, in this first season. So if you haven't already realised that email address is sundayschoolformisfits at gmail.com. If you have any questions you'd like us to explore on that Instagram live, then please send me an email and we'll try and get to it. If you have any comments you want to bring as well, please do. And come along. We'll probably schedule, we've scheduled to be there from about 7.30 till 9, but we won't be forcing it. Do you know what I mean? If no one comes, I mean, we could have a great chat on our own, to be honest, but we'll finish earlier if we need to, go on a little bit longer, maybe, if if we get into some juicy conversations. But I feel like I've probably opened up quite a few cans of worms already without even realising it. And so it will be good to talk about them live. But also, I really would like to see you all, your faces and your names, because I just see so many people have listened to this and I have no idea who most of you are. So it would be lovely to actually get to meet you. So please put it in your diary, Thursday the 8th of December, 7.30pm on Instagram Live. And I look forward to seeing some of you there. Get in my DMs as well, if you'd like to send me a little comment or question there. You don't have to send me a whole email and I'll keep record of them and then we'll deal with some of those things when we meet together to talk. Back to today anyway. Today I am going to talk about suffering and this for me comes very much on the back of talking about the cross and the crucifixion and dealing with the impact of having this so central in our minds when we think about our faith and our lives, particularly for those of us who are black people, who've had to endure all kinds of crosses that have been put on our backs by others, not because we've chosen to endure the cross or bear our cross, but because we've had them forced on us. 
And so it's very, it's too simple, I think, to kind of take this idea of Jesus's death and say, this should be the framework through which we should understand our lives as black people. I actually think it's quite damaging. And we're going to get into all of this in this particular episode. And of course, when we talk about the cross, as I did a couple of weeks ago, we're looking suffering directly in the face. A suffering that some people think God required. Others will say God didn't want it, but it was necessary. Others will say it wasn't necessary, but it was inevitable because humans just kill good things. And so obviously we'd kill God if we had the chance. And when we start to ask these questions about the death of Jesus, I think what happens to us, or I think maybe what should happen to us, is that we start to ask those questions about our own suffering. If God requires the cross, requires Jesus' suffering, does that mean that God requires my suffering in this life? Or does God think my suffering is good? Should I think my suffering is good? Does God see my suffering as unwanted but necessary? Is it inevitable that I'm going to suffer? And if it is inevitable, does that mean that I cannot or should not try to prevent it? These are the deep questions which I think link our lives with the lives of Jesus, especially when we think about suffering on the cross. And when I think back to my younger self, I probably did believe that God required suffering because of the cross. And I was growing up, as I said a couple of weeks ago, in the whole idea that God required this sacrifice to appease his wrath because of sin, like the kind of Old Testament sacrifices where you'd see X amount of animals killed as a sacrifice to God, their blood kind of poured out as as an offering. And Jesus being seen as this New Testament final sacrifice once and for all. And on the one hand, I think that this helped me to see that good things could come even out of suffering, which I don't think is itself a bad idea. So when I was a young person getting bullied at school, not seriously bullied, but, you know, they made my time uncomfortable enough. I felt Jesus was in solidarity with me and he was helping me to grow in empathy and compassion. But on the other hand, because I'd made suffering a good, it made me reluctant to defend myself. And this, I think, can happen in subtle to more extreme ways in our lives, even as adults. When we make suffering a good in itself, we have the option to stop it, but we don't. And this is what I think I want to get into today. What the problem is with this kind of connection between the suffering of Christ and our own suffering in our own lives. Was the only Christian response for me at that time to kind of process my inner feelings of sadness and become more empathetic? Could it also have been to shout back and defend myself or to organise a little group of us to defend each other from these bullies? Why is the Christian response simply allowing it to continue? Can our theology, I would say anyway, that our theology can end up prolonging unnecessary suffering? Toxic theology, I think, will have us choosing suffering for ourselves when we have the option to choose freedom, life and joy. Now, I'm not advocating an approach here where we deny that suffering happens or that we have this kind of idea that we should be existing out beyond suffering, that we can be unaffected by suffering. I don't think that's honest. But I'm saying, should we always assume that suffering is good or has a good purpose? I would say not. Focusing on Jesus's suffering as having the power to save us can I think mean that we are way too quick to accept suffering and to assume that any kind of anguish or pain is good without giving it that much thought? 
We don't tend to explore what the suffering is, what its cause is, if anyone is responsible. We just assume, based on a very simplified idea of God's sovereignty, that it is what God wants and therefore it's fine. Or it's what God's allowed and therefore it's fine. It's a problem when we do this to ourselves, but it also is quite damaging when we do this to other people. And this is one of those places in which I think the way that we love ourselves and our neighbours is seen most clearly. When we overlook and we downplay our own pain because we want to pretend that it's good because suffering produces good character, even when it's killing us. When we ignore our own pain, we are withholding love from ourselves. And what it means is that we end up doing the same thing to other people. When other people cry out to us in pain, likewise, we say to them, just accept it. It's part of life. God has allowed this. It will pay off eventually, if not now, then in in eternity. And we're quite numb to the pain that we're experiencing and to the pain that others around us experience. And I see this happen so often in some of the conversations we're having about social justice and inclusion is people react to others in the way they react to themselves because their own needs are not being met and they see this as necessary for their faith. They don't want the needs of other people to be met because they also see that they should also be deprived. They are not thriving and flourishing in every aspect of their lives and they think that that's inevitable and a good thing, even though in their heart of hearts they probably don't think it's good. They are also denying that to other people. They won't let other people have the joy and freedom that they're denying to themselves. And we see this playing out way too often. So a lack of ability to love ourselves leads to a lack of an ability to love our neighbours. Now, the problem with being too quick to embrace suffering and assuming that suffering is good for us, there are many problems with this approach. An emotionally abusive relationship becomes a cross we have to stay and bear. The trauma we experience through being assaulted or mistreated or bullied becomes something that God has allowed for our good. Loneliness, isolation becomes a test of our character that God wants to use And there's this this need to kind of take the worst things of life, the horrible things of life, and just be dishonest about what they're actually doing to us in real terms. Now, because many of us, I think, have been told that good things come through endurance, it means that we we don't tell the truth about the fact that this is actually not having a positive impact on me. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to, using this as a coping mechanism. So if you're the kind of person who is, in a difficult situation, and in order to cope with it, you tell you tell yourself a, this story about the fact that it's not being wasted, that God is using this for good. I don't think that's a problem, right? We have the whole all things work together for good passage that people use in all kinds of ways. And one of those ways is that when you're in a situation that isn't good for you or doesn't feel good to you, that this helps you to endure it and trust that something good might come out of this in your own life, in the lives of others. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong to do this as a coping mechanism. And I'm the kind of person who will not speak badly for the way that we use theology to cope with difficult circumstances. Because when life gets hard, we're all just doing our best. So I will never shame anyone for taking a scripture, even if it might be done out of context, and creating out of that something that helps them cope with the worst things in life. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And I think it's normal. And it's what we do to survive the worst things that happen in life. But I do think that for many of us, 
it's quite important that we tell the truth about isn't isn't working. So when you're in that difficult situation, that is clearly not producing good character, it's only creating anguish, grief and pain. Pretending that that is a good thing, to me, is just denial of the facts. And I think that we have to start to tell the truth about the gap that exists between the ideals that we're given in the scriptures and what's happening in reality. Sure, Paul might be telling us that endurance is a really good thing and that suffering produces good character. But I guess it depends a lot on the kind of suffering and what it is exactly that's going on. We can't just use it as a, as a catch-all thing for everything that goes on in our lives that might be difficult. And part of me wonders whether this eagerness to accept suffering is something that particularly affects those of us who are coming from communities that have known disproportionate amounts of struggle and suffering in this life. And I started to think a lot about this question of how people think about suffering in their faith. Because of research I've been doing recently, which just got published on the well-being of clergy who are from minority ethnic backgrounds in the Church of England. And one of the things that I'm going to do a, a, a paper on, actually, is about this idea of how people think theologically about calling in a what is effectively a racist church. And what really concerns me, and this is not a Church of England problem, this happens across the board, and many of these people were experiencing racial abuse, some of them, their health issues were so serious as a result of working in this church. And yet they were talking about this as something God had called them to or something that, you know, they felt like was God's will for them. And so when I hear God being talked about as calling black people into situations of racial trauma and abuse, I have a lot of questions. I want to know, is God anti-black? Are black lives collateral damage? on the path towards this post-racial future people think is possible? Has God dictated a special kind of suffering for black people which white people don't have to partake in? Like, I don't agree with any of these ideas, but I do think that the way some of us rationalise our callings or God's will, you'd think God was anti-black. And I find the kind of oversimplistic ways of understanding God's sovereignty particularly concerning for black people when we think about the history of our ancestors and yet still walk away from all of that, a very clear example of how human evil can create a world for other people to live in, which has nothing to do with the will of God. And yet after all of that can still walk away with very overly simplistic ideas about God's power and God's sovereignty. That's a whole other podcast episode. But I come to the conclusion that struggle in this life is inevitable. And struggle is what as black people we're familiar with. We have had to struggle just to be. We've had to struggle just to exist in this world. Black women, we've had to struggle in in multiple ways, not only to exist in the world, but struggle to just to have agency over our own bodies. And women across the board have had to have these struggles as well. And suffering is also inevitable because we're human and we get sick. People do harm to us and circumstances in life are difficult. But personally, I've come to the conclusion that since struggle is inevitable in this life, I will not make choices which add suffering to my own existence. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. Since struggle is inevitable in this life, I will not choose to add suffering to my own life. When I speak about suffering and not choosing suffering, 
immediately I imagine people feel, some people might feel that I'm advocating this kind of life should be easy theology, right? This is what us millennials get cussed about all the time. We have no resilience. We want an easy life. We don't want to put in the work. We want things to just come to us. We're entitled. We don't want to struggle. Listen, whether you want to struggle or not, struggle's going to find you in this life. And it doesn't take long for you to realise that if you're living in the real world. So for me, my starting point is I'm not going to actively choose to add struggle to my life if I can avoid it. There's enough in this life that gets handed to me that I don't get to choose. So why am I going to choose to add more? I expect to endure struggle, but I will choose joy for myself at every opportunity. I expect to have to deal with painful situations, with difficult people, but I will build as much love as I can into my life as a buffer. I expect to cry. I've done enough of that in my life already, but I will make sure that I have peace and pleasure to heal and to strengthen me. Like for me, that is what having an abundant and balanced life is about. It's not everyday suffering, but I also think that there are different kinds of pain and suffering and how we respond to them should be different. I'm rambling here, by the way. This is not some kind of model. And if anybody teeths this and writes a book, yeah, then I will read the book and remember you did this and we'll have to have a, we'll have to have words, won't we? That is the good thing about podcasting is that you've got your thoughts out into, out on the record. Anyway, I digress. I'm just thinking this through, by the way, as I go. But there are those kind of inevitable kinds of suffering, which just are, they come to us as human beings because we're alive. Grief and loss, hurt and disappointment, illness to varying degrees and in various forms, loneliness, fear, anxiety. These are just the things that we have to deal with. Even those things that we think are unique to us are familiar to human beings more broadly. And we can do our best to mitigate some of this pain, but we'll never avoid it. As long as we love, we'll have to deal with grief. As long as we have bodies, we'll have to deal with our health issues. So we can only really enjoy the best of life and cope as best we can when these inevitable things happen to us and those we love. But then there, I think there are kinds of suffering which exist because people do evil things which cause harm. Think about the greed that leads to poverty on local, national and global levels. The human impact on climate change, which means people are losing their homes and being displaced around the world. War and humanitarian crises which follow wars. Abuse, discrimination, violence, inequity, all those things. There's often someone or some people to blame for this. Sometimes other people, sometimes us, sometimes whole nations or cultural moves. But there's no way to make them pay or make it completely better. So we simply have to find a way to get through it and try to make sure that we look after the most vulnerable. And then I think there's something that's linked to the life of faith. People who like die for their faith around the world because people... I mean, this is linked to people doing evil things as well, to be honest. Killing people because of their faith or lack of faith. It doesn't really take much for people to want to kill others for their belief or lack of belief. But then I think there are ways in which living a life of faithfulness to God and to others also can feel like a struggle. In a world which promotes self-centeredness and greed and consumerism, choosing not to play into that can create struggle. If you're trying to fight for a more just world, to see the reign of God, to see love and goodness win. All of this takes struggle, endurance, and maybe even some suffering. But then I think there's suffering that we actually end up choosing for ourselves, some of which is underpinned by our faith or our theology. And some of this is because of what we've been taught God expects from us in regard to 
our pain and the difficult things in our lives. And we've never been invited to ask whether this really is the only choice. Because the cross dominates our imagination when it comes to how we think about suffering. So we might have the option to leave a community that's actually abusive, but we end up choosing to stay. We might long for connection, but not allow ourselves to be loved by those who we are told are unworthy, or because we are told we are unworthy. We might be in a working environment in which we're stifled and mistreated and think that God wants us to stay there. This is kind of what I'm wanting to speak to in this last bit, like what's actually going on in our minds when it comes to making these choices about staying in places of pain. And for me, I've started to pay more attention to the Easter passages of scripture. And one of the good things I've loved about getting to know Anglicans more is the time they really take to go through the different stages of Holy Week before the crucifixion, because it gives you a lot of time to actually sit with some quite important passages of scripture. And I remember in my church growing up, like we used to do a Good Friday service, you know, and Easter Sunday service, and that was it. And in the Anglican churches, in the more traditional ones, you have like a Maundy Thursday service, which is where you actually sit with Gethsemane. And it's a very solemn service. But I really started to love Monday Thursday because I think I didn't really spend enough time thinking about what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is why, you know, as much as I have problems with how the Bible has been used, and I have problems with the Bible itself at times, there's also some really helpful stuff in here that actually helps to bring a caveat to the extreme emphases that we can make. Because if you date the cross on its own, it's very easy to get quite imbalanced when it comes to thinking about suffering. But if you see in its full, in the full story. So the Gethsemane bit for me is interesting because this is the bit where the night, it's the night before he has his last supper and then he goes to the garden with his friends because he's really anxious about what's going to happen. And he tells his friends, this sorrow is killing me. I don't want to be on my own, so please come and hang out with me and let's go pray. And they fall asleep, but before he sees them sleeping, he's like talking to God and being like, listen, I don't want to go through this. So now is the time, if there's a plan B, to let's get this show on the road. I don't want to go through what's about to happen. You know that Judas is out here eating food with me and he's going to betray me. This is the paraphrase. (laughs) And... He's going to do what he's going to do in it, but I'd rather not go through with this. So let's please find another way if we can. Ultimately, if not, then we'll just have to deal with it, but I'd rather not. And I like the fact that Jesus tells the truth here about the fact that he doesn't want to go along with this. And he uses his voice and speaks up for himself. He uses his agency to say, to say this is not what I want to do. He's not blindly going along. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like, you know, it's all fine, whatever God wants. That's not how it is. He's very, very clear that he doesn't want to go through with this. He knows what's going to happen. He doesn't want to go through this. And he tells the truth. And I really think this is a lesson for us in speaking up and looking for an alternative when we're faced with anguish, pain and suffering. That I don't think this is telling us to just blindly go along with whatever, is actually an encouragement to say, go to God and tell the truth. And interestingly, Jesus himself seems quite happy for people to be like this with him. In fact, he sees this as a good example of faith. Hear what I'm saying? 
pushing back, arguing and saying this is enough is seen as faith. Not just saying, okay, whatever, God, I'll just do it. I'll just suffer and whatever. But saying, no, faith is not in Jesus's mind, just accepting your fate or what some people think is your destiny. He's quite pleased with people who refuse to accept the status quo and say, I'm actually done with this situation. It has to change and I'm going to change it. And one of the best examples of this is a story of a Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7, verse 24 to 30, for the saints that have their Bibles. And in this story, this woman's child is dying. She's not a Jew, she's a Gentile woman from Syria. And her child is dying. And Jesus comes to the area and it says that he doesn't want anyone to know he's there. He just wants to chill. And this woman comes up, she hears that he's there and she goes up to him and disturbs his peace and says, listen, my little girl is ill, yeah. I need you to heal her. And Jesus, what Jesus says to her is actually quite peak. It's down there in the text that Jesus effectively is like, what you're asking for belongs to the children, i.e. the people of Israel. It's a problem. I know that some of you don't, don't want to say it's a problem, but it's a problem. Because we can't explain this away. I've tried. I'm like, okay, let me sit with this. So I've got Jesus, the one who's friends with the person on the margins here. This woman comes and says, heal my daughter. And he's like, listen, this ain't for you because you're not a Jewish woman. We have a word for that today. We call it racism. You know, and like looking back, that's what we'd call it. I'm like, was Jesus having a bad day that day? I know what it's like. You know, you're an introvert. I reckon Jesus is on the introvert side of the spectrum. He don't want no one to know he's there. He's hanging out with his friends. He just wants to have some time to himself. You know, I imagine he went, he went hiding in the bushes. Like he literally left the main roads and went hiding by the bushes. And this woman like follows him all the way around there to heal the daughter. But she's so persistent that she gets exactly what she wants. This promise that wasn't even for her, that Jesus himself said, this ain't for you. In the end, she gets it. Jesus doesn't tell her off for being, for not being humble. He doesn't say, humble yourself, go away. After she makes her point about, yeah, but even a, even a does get to have the crumbs. Jesus is like, oh, that's right still. Cool then, let me heal your child. She doesn't get told off for breaking the law by demanding a blessing that was only for the Jews. She doesn't get told she's too, her chest is too high. Sorry, that's the Jamaican phrase, meaning you're too bolsy. <laughs> meaning you're too proud. He says, because of your reply, go on then, your daughter is healed. And this for me is a really, really encouraging passage. I mean, it has a lot of problems, as I've said already, that we don't have time to get into today. But what I do think is interesting is the fact that this woman sees her daughter suffering and she says, this has to stop today. She's not waiting on God's will. She's not waiting for some preacher to tell her that her moment of breakthrough is coming. She's not enduring suffering for the sake of the character it's going to produce in her daughter's life. She says, you know what? This needs to stop now. It's very simple. I'm not going to spiritualize this. I'm not going to make certain of this that it's not. I'm not going to try to pretend that this is a good thing. I'm going to call a spade a spade and say, I do not want my daughter to suffer. And I'm going to go and ask Jesus to heal her. And Jesus says, cool. And I do wonder whether for some of us, we really have been taught to over-spiritualize our suffering. I mean, like some of us are going through anguish in our soul, in our soul, you know, for months, for years. And we're finding all the explanation we can for why that's good and why it's not good for me to just have what I need. Some of us, are some of you that listen to me, yeah, have been lonely for years. I mean, lonely in the most soul-destroying way that loneliness can find you. 
And when you have the option for companionship, you're not choosing it for yourself because you've been made to feel that you don't deserve it or that you don't get to have it because you've been made to feel as if suffering is always good. Today, I want to say not every day, not every day suffering. And I fundamentally have a problem with any theology which is unjust. By that, I mean that it allows certain people to have certain goods and not other people. I've always been a fairness person, you know, since I was a kid. And I think it comes from having to share with siblings. Like when you have to share everything with three other siblings, fairness becomes important to you because if you don't fight for your fair share, you get nothing. (laughs) especially when it's food and you have two brothers who like to eat you have to fight for fairness and I feel this stuff very deeply because I think that there is a kind of unfairness and I'm thinking about my single sisters especially when I think about this kind of thing many of us have been made to feel like it's normal that we go for months and years in loneliness and isolation and I want to let you know that you don't have to be this way It does not have to be this way. And the moment that you begin to realise that your desires and needs matter is a game changer. This sister in this passage realises that her, her needs matter, that her daughter's needs matter and she fights for what she wants for her child. And some of us, we don't fight like that for ourselves, you know. We fight for other people, but we won't fight for ourselves. I have to say to myself sometimes, not Selena, what would you allow for yourself? I have to say, if this was your sister's cell, If this was your little sister, what would you say? What would you allow and not allow for her? And that's what you must allow and not allow for yourself. Because some of us women, we don't know how to fight for ourselves. We only know how to fight for others. We don't know how to extend kindness to ourselves. We only know how to extend kindness to other people. And this passage, I think, is a prime example of this. I wonder whether this woman would have gone to Jesus if it was for herself. But she went there for her daughter. So I have to, I've had to learn to say this to myself. Am I willing to accept this suffering for me? Would I accept this suffering for my sister? Would I accept this suffering for my daughter if I had one? Would I accept this suffering for my brother, for my friend? If not, then why am I so quick and so willing to accept this suffering for myself? And this is not about fighting God necessarily, because I don't believe God is the author of our suffering. I believe that some of it just is. Circumstances lead to it. Other people cause it and sometimes we do. But it's about disturbing the notion that God's will is for us to sit in pain. I've had to endure inevitable pain in this life, as many of you listening have. Hard things that I would never have chosen for myself. And some of these things are normal and some of them have positive effects in our lives. I think about being in a job that I knew wasn't right for me anymore and sticking it out until the right thing came along. That was normal, that was healthy. It was difficult, but it was good. It stretched me. It helped me to develop endurance. But what made it good and what made it healthy was that I had agency. I was the one who was choosing to endure. I wasn't being forced or coerced into it by fear or manipulated into doing it because I thought if I left, God would be angry with me. I chose freely to stay there because I knew, I felt strongly within myself that the time is coming where I'd be able to move on to the right thing and it happened exactly in that way. But that's different to a perpetual period of suffering. And I know that enduring a difficult thing can be good because along with that difficulty are signs of life. I can see myself getting braver and bolder, growing and changing and maturing. This kind of struggle builds resilience. And this is what I think is what taking up your cross is like. It's about your agency. Jesus chose his cross. He went and he said he would go. He wasn't forced. 
He could have walked away. He could have called angels to save him, but he didn't. There's options there. There's agency. I don't think we we should run from struggle or assume that just because something's difficult, it's bad, and we should be done with it. That's something that I think we're probably too quick to do in our in our time. But suffering is suffering when those good signs are absent. When it's not something that we've chosen, it's something that's been imposed upon us by others. Where it's not something that we can see has an endpoint or that we feel confident has an endpoint. It's indefinite and, and never ending. There's only pain and more pain grief and more grief and though we want to be able to choose we don't feel like we can we might even see that there are options but don't feel like we get to have we have the right to choose the good one for ourselves that we're forced to choose the suffering and the pain that for me is when struggle is no longer a good struggle and the indefinite period I think is a is an important point that the way that suffering can be perpetual can just go on and on and on with no end in sight even Jesus only fasted for 40 days, right? And then he ate. Fasting it leads to spiritual life and renewal. Starvation leads to death. The difference between those two things is having the, the agency to have what you need to sustain yourself and the time that it lasts. So taking on good struggle, but not choosing suffering for myself, is about having a boundary of self-love, which means I get to say that is enough now. And it means that I can also love others with that same love. I don't encourage others to do things that make their souls sad. And I do not tell myself to do things which makes my soul sad. I choose joy for myself. Even if others disagree, I get to have joy. It's my inheritance. And so in our lives with God, I think it's important that we use our voices and recognise our agency in the ways that Jesus did and Jesus encouraged other people to do. I think it's important that we speak up and tell the truth about what we're actually experiencing. That even though we might be told that suffering is good for us, where we know it's crushing our soul, it's making our lives miserable, it's causing us anguish, it's taking away all joy from us. What does it mean to tell the truth about that to ourselves and to God? And to say, please take this cup away from me. Because that is what we see Jesus doing. I think that it's important that we tell the truth about our pain, that we recognise that we get to have a say, that we're not robots, we're not machines, we're not animals. We get to have a say. This is part of what it is to be human and to have human dignity. It's to get to have a say on what happens to us in this life and what we choose to accept, what we choose to endure and what we choose to challenge and change. And I do not believe it is God's intention for us to sit passively in our lives absorbing all the pain and the suffering that comes to us and even taking on that suffering which is unnecessary but I think that God is pleased when we have the faith to say this is enough God this has to end what are the other options what else can we do what else can I do to make this right, to make this better, to make this different. And this, I think, is what helps us to have a sense of peace in life. At least it does for me. When I'm no longer sitting like a less than human being, allowing others to dictate to me what my life is going to look like, I get joy and excitement and peace about life when I know that I am using my agency in all the ways that I can to create the life that I want to live. And that is not a life that is centred only on myself, but it's a rich life that's about my family and my friends and humanity at large. And doing what I can to choose joy for myself in this life that is filled with so much pain and struggle 
that I do not choose, especially as a black woman. For me, it's a spirit-inspired act and something that I hope you all are also able to experience in your own ways, in your own lives. Thank you so much for listening to me again with my stuffy nose and coughing, which I'll have to edit out, obviously. But I hope that this serves you today and gives you some food for thought. And I will speak to you again very soon. Have a wonderful week. Stay wrapped up and keep your eye on those electricity bills. Lots of love. (laughs) 